Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Max Greenberg of Overtime Heroics Hockey covering the Nashville Predators. You know me as Jersey Joe. I cover the Devils and the draft prospect coverage. So um, it's pretty interesting how um, things have been looking in the first 41 games of the 82-game season for Nashville. So, Max, we kind of had to restart things a little bit. So uh, how about you start off? Okay, so you want me to just talk about the Preds and, like, what I've seen this season in general? You can start with that and everything else that, you know, can correlate. Okay. So, yeah, this – so last year it really started for the Predators. We thought that <clears throat> we were officially going in the other direction. It really We should have realized it the year before in hindsight, but we really didn't want to realize it then because we thought we were in a contending window. But this past summer we realized it and we traded away – past faces of the organization, such as Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis, that really symbolized that we were going in another direction, especially with guys like um, Philip Tomasino, Ellie Tolvanen, um, who am I thinking? Oh, yeah, Alexander Carrier, Dante Fabro getting more experience. Our team was going to go in the other, the other direction. Of course, we still had our main guys. Roman Yossi's still here. He'll be here for a long time to come. Matthias Heckholm, he just resigned um, before the season started. The future's still up in the air with Philip Forsberg. I personally think we should pay him, and we can go into more of that conversation later if we want to. But anyway, this team looks very different, and coming into this year, we expected things to not go so well because we thought it was going to be tough for this pretty young team to do well. And the very beginning of the year confirmed it. We started 1-4 with losses to the Seattle Kraken, who are not good. The Winnipeg Jets are falling off. We lost to them as well. It, it was a rough start to the year. The offense seemed non-existent, as it, been, as it seemed the case with Predator hockey over the past few years. But then the team really caught fire. And we're at the point now where their team is in first place in the Western Conference, which I had absolutely no idea was going to happen. I don't think anyone did. You know, I, um, myself and probably others I can speak for are just, I don't know about waiting, but just, or, or I was more so hoping for, um, the fact that we're hoping that there's not a late season collapse due to, and that could happen because this team is still very young and there's made to be inconsistency, inconsistencies with this young group of guys. But right now, you know, the team's looking good. And John Hines, who we're, Joe and I are probably going to have a pretty spirited discussion about, <laughs> he's got this team bought in. And I mean, I, I never saw it coming. I was a full proponent of fire Hines last year, but man, it's, he's really turned things around. And I, and much to my surprise, but pleasant surprise. I I mean, like, when Hines was in New Jersey, like, he was there to be a developer, but not to, like, really get you to the playoffs. The only year that really happened was because Taylor Hall was on fire, and that was because yep. Jack was starting to turn into a rookie, starting to get a little bit warm, but wasn't doing – what he wanted to do that first year, but really like he would throw players into the, what I call, what we like to call the blender. So yep. oh, yeah. every, 
it was like my first time seeing Jack on the on the doubles four pairing was him with John Hayden on the fourth line, and I'm like, "What the hell yeah. are you doing?" I'm about to talk about something like that here in a second with one of our players. To me, it made no sense, but like yeah. Heinz's system is complete shutdown defense. Pro veteran, which is what you got a little bit more of now in Nashville, and but physical beat beat up your opponent. Go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, John. So when John Hines took over as the head coach of the Preds, it was the date was January seventh, two thousand twenty, and he he came in for Peter Laviolette, who I definitely thought he had to go. Laviolette's time was up. The team really wasn't listening to him. It felt like the team would come out flat game after game. But he came in and looked like a questionable hire. Me personally, I wanted to give him some time because the the talent he had to deal with in New Jersey was not as good as the talent he was about to deal with in Nashville. But when he first started, it looked bad. And your point about throwing players into the blender, he always shuffled the lines. We we hardly had guys in the same line for more than two or three games. The, the offense was non-existent. There was no chemistry no, the the passing was terrible. We could not generate anything. And, and as you said, there would always be decisions based on his the players he played that would favor his system. One thing I've learned about John Hines is he I, I don't want to say he hates these guys, but he you can tell he's not really comfortable playing small guys in his lineup. For example, Rocco Grimaldi, who has really fallen out of favor on in the with the Predators. Hines, for whatever reason, last year would not play him when they were better when he was better than a lot of other players who would play, presumably because he was too small and he wanted a bigger lineup, and it, it was bad. But then on March fifteenth of last year, that was the date everything really started to change. It the team started to get an identity. The herd line that I talk about all the time on my Twitter and and when I write for um, when I write about stuff on overtime heroics. That became a staple. That's our physical fourth line. That's the tone-setting team. They moved to the third line, but they were the fourth line last year. Um, Philip Forsberg, Mikhail Granlund, and Matt Duchesne have been one of the better lines we've seen, especially putting Granlund at center. And I'm not a huge fan of this, the way this line's constructed, but um, Nick Cousins, Tommy Novak, Philip Tomasino, they perform well when they're on the ice. And as far as the um, lines, shuffling the lines, that has not been – much of a concern this year and which is really great that was his biggest weakness as head coach one thing I'll always give Heinz credit for is that he gets his team to play with a lot of fortitude and tenacity and it showed last year they came back to clinch the playoffs up there looking dead to rights being almost last in the western conference and they brought him back to a playoff spot number one in the conference this year in the western conference I'm starting one and four and oh and everyone looked at this team and just thought, yeah, that's what we thought about them. They're going to suck, but no, not at all. And, and in December, the Preds had a COVID outbreak that wiped out the entirety of the coaching staff. Not, not even one guy left. All the coaches were gone. And yes, he wasn't coaching that game, but they still won. It's, that speaks to the, the mentality and mindset that he's instilled within his players. And I'll go over, and of course he still has flaws, which I'll discuss, but essentially He's gone from the hot seat to everyone, everyone wanted out to a guy who right now in the NHL, there are few coaches with a more secure job. And most importantly, the team is more bought in than they've been in the past three to four seasons. And so you talk about like experience, but I'm also looking at the 
experience that elite prospects puts out and i'm just looking at what they put and they put nashville at 28th and they put new jersey at 30 and ottawa at 32 i don't know how they measured that but still are you talking about the league standings it it could be that but i'm just looking at now you i'm looking at average height you're looking oh, at oh, oh, oh i'm looking at that as as well but like you look at nashville just trying to find Nashville on there, but New Jersey's sixth in height at six foot two, and then you have Nashville's fourteenth at six foot one. So that's they're at and Nashville's at two hundred pounds on average, and they're about twenty six point five nine years old on average, and New Jersey's about twenty four point eight one years on average. So. Yeah. The oldest team in the league is the New York Islanders. Yep. 29.12. So and the, the, the Preds are pretty young. I believe our – I don't know for sure. You might have mentioned I think our age is like 25 or 20 – average age is 25 or 26. It's between the two. So, really what I'm trying to say is both teams have a good learning curve ahead. So, they got a lot more potential uh, in the next coming seasons. <clears throat> depending on how they're ahead of schedule. So I think when you have guys like um, McCarron, you have uh, Yossi, you know, around those younger guys, you know, they're going to learn to become veterans a lot quicker. When you have guys who are in their third, fourth year, they're still juniors and seniors to me. When you get to that fifth year, you're, you're, you're a veteran. Yeah. Yep. And one of the points I remember you made, you see, you um, you would see that um, Hines would put Jack Hughes on the fourth line with someone like John Hayden. I've seen the same thing happen in Nashville the other, just the other night. So this past week, what he did, so Phil Tomasino was mysteriously a scratch for um, the Vegas game. And it said within the broadcast, he was scratched because Hines wanted a bigger lineup versus Vegas. And to me, it's one of those situations where, yeah, you – I guess having a bigger lineup helps, but you, you don't don't prioritize that against playing just your 12 best players. Tomasino is clearly one of the better 12 players or 12 forwards, I should say, on the Predators. And then in Arizona the other night, he was, Tomasino was on the line with Matt Luff and Michael McCarron, and I'm just thinking, how? It, it makes absolutely no sense. Like, yeah, I've seen... Uh, Tomasino in the uh, what used to be called the Cherry Ore Tournament, and this used to be on uh, NHL Network through I think Sportsnet or something like that. Anyway, I saw him in a tournament, and I really liked the way he shot the puck, and he looked very poised with Tyson yeah. Forrester. So I really liked what he was bringing. I thought you know the way Hines uh, has done things historically. With young guys, he he's not the kind of guy that I think could be around too long. But Nashville is going to eventually push for someone who's going to do a little bit more with a blend of veterans and younger guys as well, because you can't just favor the veterans over the young guys, or right. else they're going to want out. And like last year, for whatever reason, he kept insisting on playing Brad Richardson and in our games, even in the playoffs, which made no sense because he's clearly not that skilled. He was just a, a veteran who is physical, which 
you, you have to you have to adapt at some point. I mean, yeah, like the, one of the things that drove a lot of fans in New Jersey nuts, and I'm sure you could probably look at the old tweets, is that you know it's like every time he started the lineup, he would put an older veteran over a younger guy, whether yeah. it was benching Larson or this and that, like right after Peter DeBoer left, you know, Lindy Ruff has done a lot better job of improving the team. And I really like what he's done, but it's a, it's a step above what Hines has worked with. And it's just uh, Tom Fitzgerald's way of getting a little bit more out of the player, play better. But I yeah. think Nashville has something going right now, but I'm not sure how long it's going to last. And I guess one of the things I'm worried about with the Predators more than anything, which I haven't heard a lot of people mention, but I think people are thinking about it, is I, I'm wondering if the team is overachieving in the moment because, like I said, there's a lot of youth on this team between Thomas, you know, Ellie Tolvanen, um, and there are other guys coming up. David Ference has yet to really get his true opportunity. He's got to be getting a chance soon. He's another example of a player I think is getting is getting screwed over because he's he's young. I mean, maybe he, at least give him a chance because he's so skilled. And last year he played in the regular season finale and he looked pretty good. And that's another example of a guy who he is not having play. Philip Philip Fleet Myers is. Just sitting. He's not even playing in Milwaukee because his contract makes him ineligible. Because um, he just he's literally just sitting and watching these games, which does him no good. But anyway, what I was gonna say is I think I'm a little worried about this Predators team right now biting off a little more than they can chew because, as I said, this team is made to be inconsistent. And while the Predators are in first place in the West, they're not better than a team like Colorado. They're not better than a team like Vegas. St. Louis is neck and neck with them, and even Minnesota, who's slumping right now could have essentially ca- could eventually catch the Predators and likely will because they have a few games in hand. So the one thing I'm worried about is that come March or later in the year, the Preds are going to start losing a bunch of games and it's going to hurt these players' confidence when when they really thought they were going to – you get what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I, they think – Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I'm actually looking at the Western Division – and so you're talking about Nashville being a point up on St. Louis and St. Louis being three points up on Colorado, being the top three in the West. Meanwhile, and Colorado has like five games in hand on us both. Right. And yeah. there's there's margin for error. There's margin for improvement at the same time uh, for Colorado. So it could be three games they win, three games they lose. But either way, I'm looking at some sleepers and if you look at, I mean, Vancouver looks like they've turned a corner, but everything from Vancouver all the way up to Minnesota, it's most competitive. I've seen the West with the wild card and the playoff hunt in a while. So I think this is going to be the most openly competitive uh, division in the NHL this year. And usually the East is a lot more intense, but it's a free for all.
Hold on a sec, Max. Max, you were talking about um, the Western Conference and how yeah. it's pretty much up for grabs for the most part. Yep. Yeah, so one team I was saying that I would keep an eye on is Dallas. And as I was saying, we – or at least I thought I was saying, we know that what they can be, especially two years ago when they made the, um, f- the finals in the bubble. But they've really seemed to fall off. And it's gone to the point now where John Klingberg has demanded a trade out of Dallas because um, – presumably because contract negotiations are going nowhere with him. And it's one of those situations where, like, this – Things aren't going well with that team right now because they're doing with that. They also they're probably still reeling from Ben Bishop retiring, which is terrible. I feel terrible for him having to retire due to his knee injury. But at the same time, though, if things click right, that's a team I can see making noise in because they have a lot of skill with with Pavelski, Jason Robertson, um, Rope Hens. They got a, and they have a lot of guys who can do good things. But and even Tyler Sagan too. So. I don't know when that is going to be, if it happens, but if it does, I'm prepared for it to happen because we've seen what they can do. I think another team to keep an eye out for, I mean, I know they're just over 500, but Vancouver is starting to make noise themselves. And I think they got room for potential and they got a couple games in hand and anyone, you know, Vancouver, to Minnesota, they all have breathing room to make some sort of playoff push uh, before the season is said and done. And March 21st is coming a lot quicker than we have expected. I know we're in the yep. middle of January, but like 2022 could be anything. It could yeah. be it could be anyone's year. Like we don't know what who's going to be traded where, other than the notables like. Jonathan Klingberg and keep in mind just because the trade deadline is the 21st of March doesn't mean we're not going to see things beforehand as we saw two years ago and you know very well with the Taylor Hall situation he got traded out in in December and things would start happening and we don't know when but they could start happening well before March 21st yeah well actually you mentioned you know John Hines and you mentioned Taylor Hall I have a source who told me about both both people ahead of time that um, long story short, Heinz lost the room about minimal wow. 60% of the room um, that month and said to me via text that um, he lost the room and uh, he's looking to get fired very soon. And before you know, a few days later, uh, they re- they replaced him with an interim coach and they yep. went with Nasruddin from there on out until they got Lindy Ruff as the coach, and then um, not long ago, um, they had, you know, Taylor Hall get traded. I was told the reason why he didn't go to Colorado is because he only had less than a year left on his contract. So they yeah. would have got more, but still they got a lot back from Arizona. Uh, Total with, fleecing. Good, good for you guys on that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I still wear my Hall jersey, but, like, oh, yeah. to me, by default, it's a Mercer ball jersey. Yeah, I I, rem- I remember that night when I saw he was not going to Colorado, and I said I saw he was scratched for precautionary reasons. That point, we were like, "Yep, he he's gone." I I honestly like like if you take a look at him doing that goal celebration versus Philly in New Jersey, 
he was doing a hand gesture taunting Devils fans that day. And really? I I couldn't I couldn't handle him anymore. I said, F it, you're you're dead to me. Yeah, I, I get that. Like don't like I, I it's one thing to, you know, have things with the team like internally, but you don't want to ever make the fans a part of it. And I, I wouldn't want to see that happen to any other fan base because, you know, it puts a black eye on the fans and makes them hate you even more. So, like, they pay your salary, but be good to them. Yeah. I mean, I guess Taylor Hall got his present. He went to Arizona, who's even worse than New Jersey. <laughs> he, he thought he was going to get the, uh, the Paul Bissonette welcome. At least it was only for a half a season, but still. It is shut down, and then he went to Buffalo. Like but even even then, his produ- when he got traded, his production fell right off. It, it was even that, or the was either that or both. The fact that the Coyotes, once they started, when they traded for him, they fell off too because they were going for a playoff spot, and then they fell apart as the year went on. But they still beat the Preds in the bubble, which is humiliating. Yeah, it really is. And now we look at the Arizona Coyotes. It's just like, what is going what on happened? in the desert? It's like. 25%? We don't even know if they're going to be there next year. It, it, actually, a lot of stories short, I was reading about their lease thing. They're like two uh, votes away from having either be in favor or against of getting a new lease. And their ownership doesn't really care, honestly, to me. I think it's just there so they can sell it and make money. Or lose money at this point. Yeah, if I were, if I were anyone out there, I wouldn't want. I would not want to deal with that ownership group, especially after December, when they were nearly kicked out of Gila River Arena because they didn't pay like whatever it was, a thousand some dollars. And the league always spins it, believe it or not. And I said more than ten years ago that they should have been relocated elsewhere oh, yeah. to Quebec City. But think about it this way: there's already thirty-two teams. I mean you already would have to relocate them to Houston now. And then I said, the Panthers barely draw even pre-COVID. That's the other team I was thinking of, yeah. And they barely draw even pre-COVID and during COVID. When they're winning, too. Like, in the seasons they were winning, they still couldn't get any draw. Right. To Like, to me, it's just the retirees and the not many working people go there. There's so much other things to do in that area. You either move them to Miami or you freaking move them to Quebec City. But I think Quebec City makes a whole lot more sense. That Yeah, I think you got to go to Quebec City because at the end of the day, so my rule with pro sports franchises, for example, I'll just, so I'll just say that um, Jacksonville Jaguars are always a team that's mocked in the NFL for a lot of things. One of them is not having fans. And the thing is, can you blame the fans for not going when that team has been so bad for so many years? But the thing is, when the Panthers actually started winning, they didn't get fans. And when, you, when you're winning, you can't get fans. That's when I think you need to pull the plug. And the Panthers are long past that point, and so are the Coyotes. Yeah, it's just like, what, what else can you really do at this point? Like, yeah. Nashville's proven that in the South that hockey can live on anywhere. I mean, where it's cold. If you win. And you're winning, and you got – a really good party culture too in the city of Nashville and Tennessee in the South. And, you know, you got some really good players and you got a really good pipeline. More people are going to show up. 
I'll always say, and there are obviously a few exceptions out there. For example, teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Lakers, no matter what, they'll always get fans because their fans are so loyal. But by and large, for teams that are not like that, not large and historic, the one way to get fans in the arena is to win. And if you're winning, you're going to get fans. And if you're not winning, well, it's an uphill battle. I will, I will say this from a Devils perspective. Pre-COVID, Devils, even in a bad year, were drawing a minimal of 83%. I've, okay. seen, I've seen it firsthand. And, okay. even, and even during now, I mean, they, they, fans still show up. It may not be a full house, but a lot of fans in North Jersey show up. But everyone else that can't, you know, take the bus in or drive in, they're still watching the games on TV regardless. And they're, and MSG's making their money. Um, I see a lot of the revenue going up because Forbes actually does all the calculations every year on all the NHL teams, and the Devils' net worth has gone up, and I'm sure Nashville's has gone up a little bit more because, they, because they got the big uh, money from ESPN and – Turner and you got um, what else is there? You got the past playoffs. So oh yeah, yeah. The, the finals in 2017. That cup run was really what started our growth in terms of our fan base. And I mean, you got some really good players, especially Scarab coming. Oh yeah, and then Yossi obviously is one of the top defensemen in the league. We and Pekarene all those years. He retired now, but he was the most beloved player we've ever had. And the whole, it was amazing to see the way that the fan base rallied around him on the, his last start and when he retired. And then you have um, Luke Coonan, who, Luke Coonan, yep. who's from Missouri. So you got someone who's not too far away from Tennessee who probably could get family that can go visit on any given day of the schedule. He's not from around Nashville, but by by the day, Tanner Janot is becoming more and more and more a fan favorite of everyone. And he's left and right wing. Yeah, he's he's part of the herd line that line, like I said, the identity line for us. And he's on an entry level. No, he's not on entry level. We re-signed him this year to a two-year contract. I think he, I think this offseason, he's about to cash in on a much bigger contract, though. Uh, I believe he's lead, I believe he's leading the all rookies and goals. I think that if not, he's in the top three. Huh? Because I see that the past couple of years he was in the AHL with the Admirals, and he played yeah, so, with the Wolves. So, so what happened was so the real reason he's in, which it happened by chance more than anything. So last year, the, the original herd line, the way you see it now, it's Yakov Trenin, Colton Sissons, and Tanner Janot. Last year, it was. Yakov Trenin, Colton Sissons, and Matthew Olivier. But Olivier got injured for several weeks, so he had to go out. So the next guy up was Michael McCarron. But he got suspended in the game that – the first game he played after um, Olivier got injured. So up came Jeannot. And I, I'll always remember, that game Jeannot came in, he had a huge hit on John Klingberg. It put me out of my seat. I was so excited for it. And then the next game, he scored goals. And he keep contributing. And ever since then – He's never looked back. He's an undrafted player, and you can tell he plays with a chip on that shoulder, and it makes such a difference. Yeah, and I'm looking at um, Trennan's uh, skill ratings, and 
he has about a 17 out of a 20 in the hitting. Really good, really good puck handler, above average shooting accuracy, uh, really good with strength and acceleration, agility. He's having a good year. He's gotten a lot better this year. So he, yeah. So it showed. It shows me in his Russian under seventeen year that he had thirty four goals and forty five assists. So he really can do a lot, and he has done a lot coming from Russia in his, and given in his uh, junior year in the Russian system, he. Basically, was almost a point per game, but 0.64. So he really has produced at pretty much every level, including the AHL. Yeah. And honestly, with the the role he's going to be in on the Preds, I'm not necessarily um, thinking that he's going to be anywhere near a point per game player because he still is on the bottom six. He's not going to be able to get more time than guys like Forsberg, Johansson, Duchesne, Grandlin. And like Tomasino moving forward, he's going to be on that bottom lot on the bottom six, but he's doing his role and he's doing it well and he's getting better at it. So that's really all you can ask. And he's out of that 2015 draft in the second round. Yep. I mean, Nashville's done some really good picking over the years. And it's crazy because in for several years before, like the past few ones, we were really bad at drafting guys offensively for until Forsberg was one of our best forwards that came along before him. We really had no guys that you looked at and could say, wow, that guy's talented Both him and guys like Tolvin and Tomasino. The Preds are honestly looking at a situation they have not looked at maybe in their franchise history with the amount of talent they have up front. And I'm looking at it. They got, they, they've drafted Fabro and Gerard. Um, in the first oh, two don't rounds. remind me of Gerard. Don't remind he got he was traded in the Kyle Turris trade, which was a massive dud for us. Oh, yeah, uh, not not good. That that those three those those three way trades can really screw you up. Yeah, they, it, it did not do well for us. But what's, what's funny about that? What's so funny about that trade is Matt Duchesne was a part of it because that was a trade that sent him to Ottawa, which blew up in their face, obviously. <laughs> but but it was funny because. Like about a year and a half later, Duchesne signed with with us. So, Torres and Duchesne were on the same team for a year, despite being in the same trade. It, it came like full circle. It did come full circle. The thing is, one of those guys has somewhat evolved and started to play up to his contract. The other, it just didn't happen. Torres, that is. Yeah, he just never. I mean, I let I me. Mean, Backtrack. It it looked good at least for like the first like three months. But ever the, since then, the the twenty twenty the twenty eighteen playoffs came along. That was the first playoffs he had with us. He looked like a deer in the headlights, and he seemingly never recovered. It was crazy. Yeah, no, there's another guy I I've liked that Nashville picked, and he played in last year's World Juniors, and it was Yegor Afanasyev. Yeah, yeah, he's not played at the NHL level yet. Nope. As I've complained about Hines not playing his youth, Afanasiev is probably not one of them. He probably needs to um, play in Milwaukee for a good bit beforehand. Yeah, and he's he should be playing a little bit more down there before. And you, you like I said before, like you want to bring in a new coach that will favor 
both the younger guys and the older guys as well. So there can be a good mix. That way that you're not going to have too many upset players. Yeah, but you don't want to have like too much of one thing and too much of the other. Because if you have a guy of if you have a bunch of old guys, they'll be slow. But if you have a bunch of young guys, they won't know what they're doing at all. Yeah, I'm actually looking at um, Igor's uh, place of birth. It's actually Ilya Kovalchuk's uh, home hometown of Tver. Okay. So that's outside uh, Moscow. Okay, I did and, not know that at all. And his uh, youth team was Dynamo Moscow. So really, he, he's known for his shooting capability for a power winger. Yeah. So kind of reminds me of Ellie Tolvin because Ellie Tolvin is known for his shot, which is crazy. And it and it always seems Nashville is comfortable not only taking a Canadian, but they're also willing to take any European Russian available. So what's what's so interesting is until Trenton came along, my um some one of my buddies and I were talking. My buddy was a Caps fan. We were talking about our the team's constructions, and he said something. What's funny about you guys is you never have any Russians. We really never had any Russians on our team until guys like Trenton and um, Askarov and Afanasiev came along, which, which is really interesting. Because like, if you look at every other team, most other teams have a, at least a few Russians. We never had any for the longest time. Yeah, like, I can say this from a Devils perspective. Like, I remember when Lou uh, was still drafting, he didn't – Draft as many players from Russia, especially after um, Kovalchuk, if I can remember properly. But when Ray Shiro brought in Paul Castron from the Blue Jackets, um, he and Fitzgerald and Shiro were all able to piece in guys from Finland, Sweden, Canada, U.S., Russia. We've had, we've had so many Finns and Swedes, I will say that. It's like the Nordic country of uh, of the NHL. Yep. It's it's like the Nordic nations. Yeah, we we had so many guys from especially our goaltenders over the years have all been Brene was Finnish and Soros is Finnish too. And you recently drafted Fyodor uh, Svechkov, really good power yeah, forward. Fedor, yeah, I forgot about him too, Fedor Svechkov. And. You got one of my favorite North American skaters from last year's draft in uh, Zachary LaRue. Zachary LaRue, I can't wait till he comes up. He's going to be a fan favorite too. I'm he, calling that. He's very brash, cocky, and a, yeah. not, in a, not necessarily in a bad way, but also in a good way. Like to me, he's like Brad Marchand, but like the newer, like the newer version yeah. with a lot more excitement and swagger. Like, he can he can play with power, and he can be a goal scorer when he wants to. He he can be a playmaker. It's just that you know fans in Nashville will be buying his jersey left and right. Oh yeah, my favorite quote from him is: I remember in the draft this past year, one of the he one of the scouts asked him, "You know, give me one reason we should draft you." And a lot of guys will probably tell you, "I'm like I'm skilled this way, like I can." I can shoot the puck, blah, 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 generic stuff. But what he's, he said, he said, put the puck in a corner, put up another guy in the corner or other guys. And I'm going to be the one that comes out of the, out of there with that puck. I'm going to win that battle 10 times out of 10. And that I love right there. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys that I was keeping an eye on. He was in like the, the top 15 for a while. Then he was in 
the top 25 and then he went to uh, the, th- the top 32 and then he went to the top 45 as you know the draft year went on and and as soon as the draft day came he went 27th overall so like this this really bodes well for Nashville being patient and understanding the the potential of a really good upcoming player now I, I will say for LaRue He's going to have some maturing to do as he gets to the NHL. Because I remember, <clears throat> I looked at his um his um history of um disciplinary issues in hockey, and he's had several pretty careless suspensions. One of them, I believe, was for flipping off fans, spitting on players, <laughs> fighting after an original fight. I mean, he's going to have to calm it down. But if he can do that, he's going to. I think he'll have a really good career, especially with the work ethic that he has, and or at least we think he has. I think the way the NHL is going, the new NHL, especially under ESPN and TNT, I think they're going to make sure the league doesn't like curb too many things. And they want to see that brashness. They want to see that feistiness. Oh, yeah. They, they want to see that character. Like, Absolutely. We see, we see the NFL players and the NBA players have like, you know, some – you know, swagger type moments on the field while on the ice, we want to see this and it brings in more fans who can, you know, easily relate to hockey players, the newer generation. Yeah. And you know, it's not that we need to, that they leave want to see more fights. Like if you ask any casual hockey fan, what their favorite part of the game is, it's probably going to be the fight. So I do, I get what you're saying. The NHL wants to add that element of swagger and competitiveness to the game to draw more fans, maybe those who wouldn't otherwise watch. I don't think it's going to be so much the fighting. I think it's going to be more like the, the hip check, the, like the big, like breakout rush that gets most people out of their seats. Like I felt the same way watching Jack Hughes or um, even Taylor Hall or Ilya Kovalchuk over the years. Like I know I'm sure in Nashville, you you probably feel the same way seeing Duchesne or Forsberg. Oh yeah, no, like I am, like I told you, whenever we first saw Forsberg on the Preds when he his rookie year in 2014-15, like, my dad and I would watch games and think to ourselves, "Wow, we've we have not had a guy like that who could just effort, effortlessly shoot the puck and make plays offensively. We've never had that kind of talent before." It's it's one of those things like. There's a really good player that you know can that can score, but then there's a player that you know that could really like you you don't know until it's back in the net. Like some players, you just know it's going to go in. Right. Yep. That's that's the kind of caliber like I got used to seeing, and I think you know Nashville has some really good pieces going forward that they're going to not only develop, but they're also going to trade for. And the thing about trading for guys, like right now, uh, one thing I, I will say I'm sort of worried about the deadline is David Poyle is going to buy. And it really depends on who he's trading for, but we should not get any like what um, any rentals or anything. Cause right now, even though the team's doing well, they're still going in a different direction from what they were. And now one, one thing I will say is, I saw Jacob Chikrin is potentially 
wanting out of Arizona, or at least the team fooling to move him at the right price. I wouldn't mind looking into that, but if it's for a guy for like Ricardo Raquel, who's only going to be around for like a few months, I don't want anything to do with that. Number one, he's not better than Forsberg. Number two, it, I don't want to just waste assets for a few months and then just have him go to, and you know, you know what I mean? Right. When it's, when a team still needs to go in a different direction, none of these draft picks that were, that we give up would have any impact within the next one to two years, but still you don't want to get rid of assets like that when you're still going in another direction. Right. I think what, if I was in David Poyle's seat would be uh, look at your cap for next year, use that cap space, move someone who you don't see that's going to be there that next year and trade that player for the next best value. And a lot of it's going to depend on what we end up doing with Philip Forsberg because right now he's making a huge case to get paid in his next contract. And whether that be with us or whoever, Polio's got a decision to make because does he want to lose him and lose what he brings to the lineup or does he, or, or does he want to keep him because he thinks he's irreplaceable, especially with that forsberg Grandland duchesne line doing as well as they are. I would, I would keep him. I mean, you know, you don't want to I lose agree. that. Because offense is hard to create. I know defense takes a lot longer, but, like, you know, you don't want to rush the other guys that are in your system, like Afanasai right. already there. So, like, and you don't know what Hines will do if you do call up a guy. And I know from watching uh, Alexander Holtz um, in New Jersey this season, it's like, He's gotten to assist, but then he's developing his uh, his defensive work and his his footwork is getting there, but he's just getting too good for the AHL. But like sometimes right. you need to leave the guy there until you know the summer they're ready to make that leap in the NHL at the right time. Ex- exactly. So I'm not you know in the camp to rush a guy just for the sake of doing it. And I'm not either, but I only want these guys going if I clearly see what they're capable of. And in the case of David Ferentz, who I talked about a little while ago, you know, not that I, I'm not saying that he would go into the NHL and just stay there. Like they might decide, okay, he might need some more time. But I think at least giving him that chance isn't bad because there was a, the team had a scrimmage in August. He looked, he was far and away one of the best players out there. And he also played versus the Hurricanes in the end of the regular season last year. And he looked fairly comfortable out there. Granted, Hurricanes are playing a lot of backups, too, because both teams have clinched playoffs and had nothing to play for. They knew they were going to play each other in the playoffs. But still, at least give him that shot, see what he's capable of. Because while Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning have looked pretty good in the third pair, they're, they're not that skilled, and they're not going to be around for the future. So see what you have. Yeah, it's um, one of the cases I like to make is look at what you have on Cap Friendly and then try and piece together the next best available team before you get to your restricted free agents. Um, then you have your UFAs. So that's kind of something that you got to start with. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see Nick Cousins. I don't see Bor- Matt, Mark Borvietsi. I don't see Matt Benning being a part of our team next year because at some point the youth has to come up and like they're ve- at the grand scheme of things, all of those guys are very replaceable. Like you mentioned Borovietsky, he's he was with the Senators for quite a while. Yeah. And 
he's a physical presence, but like I remember when the Devils when they traded for Anton Folchenkov a long time ago, and he was getting up there like his last few years he was okay, but then his last year he was just a traffic cone, and you don't want to be stuck with traffic cones. And and as far as the Borvietti goes, I. If any Preds fans are hearing this, I might get in trouble for saying get rid of – not get rid of, but, like, don't play Borowiecki and don't resign him. But the thing is, he's physical and he'll fight. He gets to a fight almost every game. He's one of those guys that the team can lean on to stand up for him because he's one of those guys that, like, when he's on the ice, don't mess with him. But at the same time, you can't place that above skill because at the end of the day, you need skill to win games. Yes, you you need skill. You need – players that have an edge but you need to develop those players and eventually bring them up like I know from seeing Kevin Ball play he he's already got the skill he's just working on the positioning and the timing of everything and uh, you, you eventually need to bring those kinds of guys in because you know when it comes for certain players to leave contractually you'll have the the parts to replace those guys. Right. Yep. So it's just one of those things. Um, You talked about an article that you were working on, right? So. Are you talking about the one about Heinz or which, which one? um, The first, the first one that you want to touch on first. Honestly, the the Heinz article, I pretty much said what I was going to say. Like I, like the, his, what he's improved upon, but what he's, in short, basically, what Heinz has improved upon is he's not shuffling the lines every game anymore, which is great. That's his, that was his biggest flaw, but he seemingly fixed that for now. Knock on wood, that that sticks, um, right? And, you know, he, the team is bought in. And one other thing, it's still sort of an issue, but it's, get, it's getting a lot better. Last year, this, the team would really rely on UC Soros, who's one of the best goaltenders in the league. They'd constantly rely on him to win games. It's happened a little more lately than it should have, but it's not happening all the time, and we can only hope that's going to get better. But really the thing is that my biggest criticism of him at this point, which is still happening, he's got to learn to favor players over the system and and be able to adapt with what he has. And if he if he's worried about those players not being physical, teach them to be physical because, you know, at the end of the day, being physical, it's not necessarily – it's not something you just are. You have to kind of be that way too. You like, I've seen like the past several drafts. Um, New Jersey's always been drafting big physical defensemen who can be offensive defensemen, but also two way and stay at home defenders. And it's like, you know, Will Scottish goes, why are you drafting Muhammadulin or? Why are you getting Miss Yule, this and that? Like, you need to think about the future down the road where the league is not only getting faster, but you need to get faster players, but also bigger and stronger that will hold the other opponents in check. Like, the Rangers got a really big defender in Keandre Miller, and he's got a big reach. He can. He can skate, but also like the Devils got Muhammad Doolin and they got a couple other guys that they have in their system. They want to, you know, keep in check and hold the other teams at bay. You don't want your goaltenders, uh, you know, crease to get 
uh, messed with. So you want to keep those right. away as much as you can. And the Preds are still going to have their fair share of guys that can stand up to the other team because at the end of the day, as much as we're, I don't say bashing, as much as we're talking about how you have to prioritize skill over physicality and, and fighting, you still need to have guys that are going to be willing to stand up to the opponent. And we have guys like that. Tanner Janot is a perfect example. Yakov Trenin too. Even Matisse Eklund, he doesn't fight as much, but he'll get involved and he'll get into it with players that are going to mess with the team. So we have our guys, but again, you don't, don't, you got to find the balance between skill and physicality and guys that'll stand up for the team. Everything's about a balance. And what about that second article? Um, that was, so I, the one thing I want to um, talk about is going back to what we said earlier about the, the Preds in this year, I'm sort of worried they're going to fall off a glyph. So this team really gives me flashbacks to the 2014-15 season when the team had a similar fate where they came out. They were, they were supposed to be not that great, but they were great. And then at one midway through the year, they were number one in the NHL and everything was going great through February. But then at the day of February 26, 2015, the team had three regulation losses at home. A fun fact, you want to know how rotten my luck can be. I was at all three of those games that year. <laughs> but anyway, come that day, we had three losses at home on, in regulation. Lost that game on the 26th. But ever since then, the team collapsed. They never recovered. It was very evident they could not deal with adversity. It was Laviolette's first year. And, of course, they went and lost in the first round of the playoffs. But now, nowadays, this team has proven they can handle the adversity, as I told you. It, just this year alone, coming back from one and four start when everyone thought they were dead, and they're looking great now. During the COVID, during the, when COVID wiped out a lot of the roster and the head coaching st- and the coaching staff, kept winning games, kept their winning streak going to, from five to seven. And as a result of that, you know, I'm not saying this team isn't going to ha- find their struggles later in the year, but I have much more confidence they can bounce back from it because, as I said, right now they're truly bought in everyone knows what they're doing and there's real chemistry right now. And that makes me feel better than what happened in the 2014-15 year. Yeah. One of the, you talk about dealing with adversity, like last year when the league caught, you know, the COVID very badly, like the Devils were off to a very good start and then they just couldn't get back to where they were and it was like the wind just fell out of their sails. And we've seen that before, you know, players were allowed, were able to get vaccinated. Now, players, now just about every other player but te- uh, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, is fully vaccinated. Now, I've seen, you know, doubles players and some other players bounce back and they, you know, get, you know, back to their scoring habits and defending habits. Uh, but I'm not sure how some players can do, like, with rescheduled games. And to me, it could either help or hurt. So we're going to find out about that, especially with all these games that have been postponed this year. And they're, we know a lot of these players are not happy about going to the Olympics, and that's presumably what that time is going to be used for to make up games that were postponed. So yeah, we're going to see how that affects them. It affects their mentality. Or we shouldn't say this, but it, we'll see how much they really want to be there. 
Yeah, I mean, they were either going to be stuck, you know, quarantine in China, or they're going to yeah. be st- stuck quarantine five days here in North America. So Yeah, would you have to be quarantined five days or five weeks? I'd rather be five weeks quarantine than five <laughs> five weeks tops, and who knows what uh, the government in China would do uh, for uh, Western nationals. I mean... Yeah. It, it's a it's a funny business, uh, scary I mean, business. I, I mean, I don't have the same. Like, I know a lot of these players. Like, I, I will say, I didn't grow up playing hockey, and like, I know a lot of these players. Their main dream is to go win the gold medal for their country, and I know a lot of those players are probably willing, willing to take that risk because they want to go so bad to the Olympics. But if I if that were me hearing five week quarantine potentially in China, I would be like, it's it just not going to happen for me. Like. Uh... Like I understand McDavid, he, he he said something about that. He said he said about it goes, uh, he's like not at all. Like three to five weeks, and anything else like that, it's just like something's like not worth it. Like just flying over there is one thing, but like three to five weeks is insane. No, I'll just tell you, I when I was quarantined last year with COVID, I had to be quarantined for 10 days, and that was brutal enough. I can only imagine three to five weeks. Oh. Yeah. That, and you're like, what else can I do? I I know. I I had to I had to stay away for a minimal of 10 days last year in December. I mean, two years ago. And I'm like, I'm like, holy like for first five days, I'm like, okay. I'm like 10 days like uh, pretty much all like how, how much of. more when, I, when I woke up when I woke up every morning when every day I could just think of when can these days just end it's it's like are there any more world junior games I can cover in fairness there were NHL games because I got quarantined in February so there was stuff on TV but just being alone was just mm. I can only imagine having done it without sports on TV Right, and I had to, yeah. I, I had to use YouTube more than I wanted to, and, and yeah, it just, it just was a totally different animal. But like now that like things are kind of, kind of, out of kind of, yeah, but it's not there. It's just it's like, not where we want to be. We don't, we don't have the full access to the full show, but the the full show is just the, a partial showing on the ice it's just yeah. um i don't like i don't like the whole uh testing the asymptomatic fully vaccinated players i think oh, yeah, it's, no, completely agree i think they they should just if you t- if you have symptoms then s- stay home yeah it's 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 that common it's that common sense you should have but i don't like you know hearing oh yes for brat has to be out or this and that player has to be out of the lineup. And it's like, what? Steve Eisman has also said the same thing where he's just like, why are we, why are we keeping these guys out? Like they're young and healthy and their symptoms are mild at worst. Like why are we keeping them out of the lineup? Because it's one of those things. Like I agree. Like if you're, if you're healthy enough to play and you want to play, then go ahead and play. But if, if you're not, then, then go, then stay home. It's, it's be like what it was in the past with sicknesses. Yeah, like I got all my shots, and I know yeah. this. I'm not a doctor; I'm a patient. But same here. I got, I got, I got my, I got my jabs, and 
if I came up with any, you know, crazy symptoms, I would stay the heck home. But yeah, and I've been boosted too. So yeah, same, same thing. If I had, if I were feeling really sick, of course, I'd stay in my bed. I, I'd have no energy to move anyway. So I think that'd be good enough. But yeah, I mean, it's good to have some people in the media uh, covering the hockey games this year, which feels good. But like, you know, some teams are a little bit stricter in coverage. So for us, it means virtual. So you and I get to do our blog stuff. So we're not affected by that. So, right. And it's going to be tough for the NHL, especially with the, compared to the rest of the sports league, because they're so involved with Canada and they're, and they're so much stricter on this stuff. So it, I, for the NHL compared to other leagues, other leagues, there are going to be a lot more hurdles to overcome. A lot of, a lot of hurdles. I mean, uh, Canada is probably like maybe a month behind us when it comes to all this. So it's like, like they are like a, a few weeks behind, like maybe four weeks yeah. at minimal. So, I mean, that's why, like, the Devils didn't get to play Toronto and uh, Montreal. And that's why it feels like, like I told you earlier via Messenger, it feels like a college football bye week. Yeah, absolutely. Or an NFL bye week at that. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, especially, uh, it just feels like there's so much time on their hands, but it feels like, some of these players will do some sort of workouts just to keep themselves active. But I mean, the GMs I'm sure are working on deals to try and uh, find a buyer and a seller. It's just. Yep. And it's, for the Preds this week, Philip Forsberg just entered COVID protocol. And I'm wondering, cause this past Saturday was the first game he didn't play and we scored four goals, but I mean, it's against the coyotes. We didn't have a whole lot of, pressure besides the first period i'm wondering because he's going to be out for the next two games i'm sure what i'm wondering is if the offense struggles is that going to be enough to convince david Poyle it's time to pay him yeah i i tend to think you know if if you if you're in a situation where you're in a contract year and you're really putting up the numbers and you got the cap space for the next season Go go ahead by any means. I mean, and if, we definitely do. And I I'm the same way about um, Jesper Bratt, where Bratt is in a contract year, and to me, he's the same height, he's the same weight as Tomas Tatar. I'm not saying he's Tomas Tatar, but they, right. but he is already ahead in his uh, NHL development and. He's only going to get better, and yeah. I find he's going to be worth around two point eight, three and a half million easily, plus bonuses. So, if, I like Jesper Bratt. I, I, I love having him around. I picked him up on my fantasy team because I know what he brings every night. Um, anyone who doesn't have them on. Him or Forsberg on their fantasy team. I don't know what to say to you. One of my one of my buddies in one of my leagues dropped Forsberg when he was injured in November, and I picked him right up, and it's worked well for me. <laughs> for you, you you saw an investing opportunity, so oh, yeah. you you came up big. Oh, yeah. Got a <laughs> Sub- deal substantially. 
So we're now talking fantasy hockey. It's like I I was lucky enough to draft Dougie Hamilton and keep him on IR and have Varensky. Yeah, I, I, that league actually I um I didn't I didn't I auto drafted because I remember that week I had a bunch of tests and I didn't have time, but I've been fairly active on the waiver wire, so I think that's helped me out. And I check my I try to check my lineup fairly regularly. I I sometimes forget because it's every day, and you, I feel you can forget once in a while. Yeah, you use which one ESPN or Yahoo? Yeah, this is my ESPN. I have another league with um, and it's on Yahoo. We gotta do we gotta do more of these things with uh, with the blog over at Overtime Heroics Hockey. What, what website do you use? What's that? What website do you use? I I I currently use ESPN. Okay, yeah. I I I like I like their system. It, 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 it's more simplistic for me to. It is. I like. I also I use like doing the snake well. draft. Yeah, I always always do snake draft for football as well on ESPN. For me, like when it comes to football, and not to get off topic, but I know you went to Wake Forest, but my father went to Rutgers, so um, it's yeah, it's a for me, it's a New Jersey thing, so it's a it's an important thing to follow. I I tell a couple of people, I said, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to be seeing some really good players coming out of Rutgers that you're going to have a couple eyes on, and you might want to keep an eye on Wimsat, the quarterback. What, like he's he sat from for the game. He well, I mean, he was a senior in high school from oh. Kentucky, and he had enough credits to graduate early. Oh, I see. What you're saying. And so he was a redshirt, and he he could he was able to play in another game, and he played a little bit versus Wake Forest, oh, and man. he actually did pretty well for a freshman. I didn't even notice. So he. He's going to be one of the couple guys going forward that I would keep an eye on the next four years. Yep, definitely. But yeah, there's you, you, you definitely got to have your fantasy sports ready uh, next year. Hopefully, things will get back to a new normal. I'm just we hope. Fingers crossed. You never know. It's just. It's kind of a headache at this point, but like we're just dealing just, with it. It's my last semester of college. I just want to get through it without having to go back home or anything like that. I just want to get through. So, how did you become a Preds fan? Well, I live in Nashville. So you you went across the border to uh, North Carolina. That's also why I'm a big Titans fan. Which, by the way, Quinn's the one seed yesterday. That I'm a big Preds Titans fan. I go to Wake, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of them for all those teams. So you li- you you obviously are in the uh, Nashville area or Franklin. Yep. I actually live in Murfreesboro, which is like a little farther down south. It's actually like dead center Tennessee, where I'm from. Oh, really? Yep. Not far from the Smoky Mountains. It's a few hours drive over to that's East Tennessee, so it's a few hours drive over there. Ah, uh, that's probably why you made only a few Preds games. Yeah, I only made because I wasn't home all, all until December. But, it was so sad. So when I was home for Christmas break, we were, I was going to go to one of the games I was going to go to was against the flames. It was so my dad, my dad and I had tickets to the Lexus lounge, which what that entails is you get really, really nice food, like on glass seats. And we were going to get to greet the players when they come out of the tunnel. 
But the game got postponed because of COVID. And there was only, I only had one game to go to over break. That's the only game I could have gone to. Thankfully, I went to it. But it was pretty sad to get not get to go to many Preds games over break. Yeah, like for me, like I actually, where I live, I live in what we call Central Jersey along the coast. So I would take the train up to Newark. But I've been, I went to three games and I would normally go to seven in a normal year. But I'm so hesitant now. It's not the money. It's the postponements that drive me nuts. So it's right. like, I'm, I'm 90% hesitant to like buy a ticket. I, regardless of price. Yeah, I, I do have plans to come back. So the Preds play in the stadium series game at home versus the lightning in February. I do want to come home for that though, for that weekend. That'd be, that'd be a treat. I mean, yeah, that'd be great. Outdoors, nothing wrong with that. Just at Nissan Stadium, up. first ever outdoor game in Nashville, and it's at the uh, MLS Stadium there. No, it's it's at Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. Oh, yeah. I was like, it's got a nice outdoor look. I was like, it is football either way. Yeah, they would, they definitely have at Nissan because it gets seats more people by a lot. That's gonna be like how many people? Like fifty thousand. More because I'm sure it'll be more than that because the stadium is 60,000, 69,000, I believe, and then they probably add a few more seats to it. Oh, wow, because there's so many people on the waiting list. What's well, my, my thoughts? Because usually, what I've noticed for those games is because the, um, the ice will not be nearly as big as what the field normally is, they'll probably add a few more seats down the lower level. So, probably get a like. It'll be probably above 70,000. That's just my guess. I have no idea what they're going to do. That'd just be my guess. I'm sure Bettman's trying to pinch in every penny as possible oh, on these yeah. outdoor oh, yeah. games. Like, yep. the, like the Devils did a game versus the Rangers, and the Rangers did one against the Islanders a few years ago. And then they – Yeah, wasn't at Yankee Stadium? Yeah, they had one at Yankee Stadium, the Devils – Rangers out at uh, Yankee Stadium, then they the new Yankee Stadium. No, the, I think it was the old one. I'm get I'm feel old now, just saying it <laughs> because I've been to both. And the uh, Rangers went to old old Shea Stadium, I think, or or City Field. Not. I'm really. Feeling. I remember the Rangers and Sabers played at City Field where the Mets played. That was the 2018 one. Yes, that's the one. Yep. They they played in like all three. Wow. Which to me is monopolization. Oh yeah. I that's one of the things I don't stand. I can't stand about Batman is if it's original six, they get two. They get as many games as they want. If no, that's maybe you're going to write a whole new other article. <laughs> like, the, the, the thing is, like, at the end of the day, it's really all about who draws the crowds and who doesn't. I, I think over time, if you look at the way the populations grow over time, like, Na- I tend to think Nashville get, starts to get more people from the other states in the north. So you're starting to get more people, you know, watching hockey games there. So I think that helps Nashville out a little bit better. Yeah. But they but they migrated pretty quickly to Dallas for that outdoor game like a few years ago. Yeah, I, I was at that game. Now, 
how, how bad was it after that uh, second or third period? In terms of the actual hockey, it was pretty rough to watch. It was really bad. That was that was Peter Laviolette's third to last game. I remember. I, I actually remember at the at the very end of that game, I was thinking, okay, there's no more excuses. It's just time to fire him. He he's done. I remember that walking out of the, the stadium that day, thinking this guy's a dead man walking. And sure enough, five days later, he was gone. I was like, I see everyone else in cowboy boots on the rink. Like, like the coaches and all that, and the outdoor like varsity jackets, like they yeah. look pretty slick. I like those. They were great. <laughs> it, it, it was I I call it the the countryman's brawl. Are you talking about that game specifically? Yeah, because it's like you know Texas and Tennessee, you know, big country music following. And what was great about that is the um. The year before but this, and this was scheduled before this happened, but the, um, the year before the Preds and Stars had faced each other in the playoffs. So this was a big game. It became even bigger. The game, the, the Winter Classic became bigger because of that, because both teams were still fresh off and they hated each other. and They, they hate each other even more now. I think it gets even better every year. I oh, mean, yeah. given the fact that you have two states that have uh, zero state income tax, it draws even more fans even Go watch. And also, I think what, hap- what helped it last year was the fact that Dallas was in the same division as us. They weren't supposed to be, but they were. So we still got to play them. And still, you hate to look at those jerseys. Yeah, I know. It's the one thing is, is just like you look at who they have on defense, and Heiskanen is one of my favorite. Uh, He's so good. Players in the whole league. But he just—he's an effortless skater, and he reminds me of Niedermeyer. Yeah, he—he's one of those guys like Yossi, Kel McCarr, those guys, and Adam Fox, who are just make it just make it look effortless out there. They could almost—you could almost play them as forwards because they're just so skilled that way. I—I will—I will say this in a year or a few. Look for Luke Hughes to be on the ice, okay, in New Jersey because he could be a fourth forward. And it's not. It's going to be like, who's going to win the Calder this year? Are Are you asking this year? Um, I don't know for sure. I I would think it's going to be Trevor Zegers or Lucas Raymond. But as I was saying, the Preds, Tanner Janot is right there in the race. I I'm I'm starting to believe. Like I know the OTH group is like Detroit Detroit guys all day. Yeah. I'm like, hey, there's a slowdown right now, but. I will say this, Zegris is my pick for – He's um, so good. That goal he had against the Sabres, remember when he flipped it in the air, he couldn't believe he, that happened. He he he, he pulled a, uh, a Jack Hughes, Sally. Yeah. He, he could he, not – was. you could see in this face, he was like, that just happened? He just did it. Yeah. I, I, I honestly believe, like, you know – if you look at how these young kids are, like they just don't care what the establishment players think. They, they just don't want to get fined. <laughs> they just yeah, want to see that sometimes. Like uh, who, who do you see? I mean, coaching wise winning it this year, Jack Adams. <sighs> I had not given it much. Daryl Sutter, maybe. 
it's possible. That that's I, one thought. I I think of teams that were like just hire new coaches or, or the teams that weren't nearly as good the previous year. The Flames are one of them. I had not given the Jack Adams race much thought at this point, but I there will suffer a name that comes to my mind. I tend I tend to really think that Sutter's on is really in on it, but like I don't I know I know I'm biased, but could it be John Hines? It would be pretty weird to see it, yeah. to see it him could. win that. Because especially with the way they were the prep were supposed to be this year, I don't think it's totally out of the question. But I think uh, Gerard Gallant might be the other one. Yeah, that that's probably a better. I choice, hate honestly. to I hate to say it because no. not a be not that like I not, the, not to say I don't think John Hines should win, but I was just floating his name out there. Like there are some really good coaches out there. It's just like, um, would Florida's coach be up for grabs? It's possible because it? the way they had to fire Quinville, they get in early in the year and they're still doing well. They just plug in another coach and they they just they're they're it's like they never took off all cylinders. Yeah, there's you wouldn't know it if you didn't follow it. I was at that game. Um, the Devils beat Spencer Knight with like five goals easily. And I remember the, you sending the about that. I was I was like, oh wow, this is like I expected uh, Nashville to come out guns a blazing, but they didn't that night. They I don't know if they were on their off night, but like Are you they, the Predators or Panthers? The Panthers. Okay. Predators, I haven't seen them play in a couple of years. But okay. usually when I see the Devils play the Predators, they usually win at the Prudential Center. It's kind of funny. Like some teams do. Few... What's that? One of the games I was at, so the, the Devils, Devils Predators at Bridgestone several years ago, we were up 4 1 at the end of the second and we lost the game. I was so upset. It's, it's usually those overtime winners or the shootout. Yep. Yeah, I think it's. I think I think both the times I've seen the Devils, the game has gone to overtime or shootout. I think so. It's funny how it comes down to that, but like, uh, I know some people like the shootout, but I don't. I hate the shootout, regardless. I, I know what you're saying. I know a lot of people in your situation are saying it because it's not a genuine way to win games. But the thing is, what what's the other alternative? Because we don't want to turn we don't want to turn into playoff hockey eighty two times a year. I would let me put it this way. So we already have three on three. Why not have two on two after the failed three on three and do sudden death? And then if that doesn't work, you do one on one. And then you go one on one and wow. And, and someone's so, gonna surely someone's going to score there. What's that? Surely someone's got to score. Yeah, someone's going to get tired enough to have someone score and tire out the yep. goaltender. Yeah. Right. I think I think it should be looked into using in the AHL first because it was a pi- like they did a pilot program with three on three hockey in the AHL and they saw in a study a few years back that it reduced the amount of shootouts. Okay, so, I don't think that'll ever happen in the NHL, but it'd be interesting if it did. Yeah, like one of the things that made me rethink the shootout was. Watching USA beat Canada in the shootout um, in 2015 with Troy Terry, and I'm like, 
as an American, like I love it, but at the same time as a pure as a fan of the game, like it's not really the way you want it to be won. And guys like TJ TJ Oshi all those years back, like if you had him, you were you were not guaranteed, but you had a that much better of a chance because you just had that advantage. And I'm not sure if you listened to uh, Spit and Chicklets, but um, he was actually in a practice that day uh, before the game, and he was going doing warm ups, and he was really like locked in, and you know, coach you know, at the time goes like, hey, you're going to be the guy, you know, and the shootout comes and he wasn't really thinking about Datsuk or uh, Kovalchuk or even going up against Bobrovsky. He just, he just knew, like, by the time he got the puck to his stick, he kind of had an idea where he wanted to shoot the puck. It was just a matter of putting it. Yeah, I know what you mean. So he – he doesn't really think about like this and that. He just he's got that killer instinct. Yep. But I'm not sure how long we will go on, but this has been pretty good. We I think we cover a lot. Yep. We did. <laughs> we absolutely did. I think we obliterated it so far and uh I'll piece part everything. So uh what is there anything else you want to tell uh the listeners? Not, not really. I really enjoyed my time on here, and I'm probably going to come back because I, I honestly didn't expect us to talk hockey like nonstop like this. I thought we'd gone about Heinz for a while, but no, we went on a different topic. We still stay on hockey. Yeah, we we kept it on the rails pretty most long. of it, most of the time, most of the time. <laughs> but uh, it's it's unlike some other people who do go way off, but it's really worth it. So I mean. OvertimeHeroicsHockey.net, everyone, please give us a look. Uh, I am uh, Joseph Stanislaw, better known as Jersey Joe, and Max Greenberg. Yep. Thank you, guys. And have a great day. See you. See you.